Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I am super, super excited that I have Winnie Sun here today with me. I've been looking forward to speaking with her. Winnie is one of the most followed financial advisors on social media with something like 25 billion followers or something. So she's going to tell us the exact number. Um, and also, uh, if you are on LinkedIn at all you, and you have not seen Winnie, she's on there on a live show on LinkedIn uh, almost daily. Uh, I'm not sure if it is daily. I'm sure Winnie will tell us if it is daily, but I've seen, I see it daily when I'm on there. And I'm super excited to have her here. She is also a co-founder of Sun Group. I'll make sure I get this, get this in the right order. Sun Group Wealth Partners. She's the co-founder and the managing director. She is a financial advisor with more than 17 years experience. Um, is also on the CNBC Financial Advisor Council. She's the podcast host of LinkedIn Network's Winnie Sun's Yes Factor. If you're not following that, do start following that because it is a great podcast. And she has been cited, interviewed, quoted in more places that I can name, CNBC, Fox News, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and many, many, many more. So we're excited to have her here because we've got lots of questions today. So welcome, Winnie. I know this is a little long-winded intro, but welcome. Oh, and I'm so honored and excited to be here with you, Davina. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good, good. So let's uh, dive in with you telling us a little bit about Sun Group Wealth Partners so we sure. have an idea of what your business is. Sure. Thank you. Um, so we are a financial services wealth management firm. Our headquarters is based here in Southern California. We do serve clients nationwide and actually globally. We have clients a lot offshore as well. Um, and I've been a financial advisor now for goodness, I think about 22 years. And so it is a firm that was started by two financial advisors who are best friends. So Brandon is my longtime business partner. We've been business partners for 22 years, I think it is. And we're like brother and sister. And uh, we have a very diverse um, community of professionals on our team, just the nicest of human beings. And so I don't know, I think, uh, you know, it's such a, a gift, but we are able to help people from all walks of life, from like people who just started investing to companies to who have gone through the process of needing to go public and um, executives at major Fortune 500 companies, like we basically help them manage their money so they can do what they do best um, in their own respective lives. Wonderful. So I am always curious when somebody winds up in a profession like financial advisor or lawyer, it's not something that, you know, most of us think when we're little kids, I'm going to grow up to be a financial advisor. So tell us how your journey into this profession came about. Well, did I mean, it's such a good question. And, you know, I, I, I love that you kind of like framed it that way. You know, not all of us thought we were going to be attorneys, not all of us thought we were going to be financial advisors. And certainly being a financial advisor was nowhere on my radar at all. And it actually sort of fell into place somewhat accidentally. Um, just like many of you, you know, really worked hard during school, was about uh, excited about getting into good colleges. And, you know, it's interesting because my parents who are immigrants from Taiwan, you know, they didn't have a lot of money coming here, but they worked really hard. They saved as much as they could. And they wanted to send my sister and I to college. Well, about three months before I was actually about to leave for college, my mom pulls me aside and she's one of those parents where like, she's like the typical, like, tiger mom she's like really aggressive and she's like you know if you were to go to battle you would go with mom because she could push through like waves of scary people but she was actually pulling me aside and i could see that like her eyes were like a little shiny and i call it shiny eyeball because my mom doesn't cry and she said you know um i know you worked really hard i know you got into good schools um but remember that project that dad and i um invested in that was supposed to help pay for your college and your sister's college well uh, we're going bankrupt because 
the partners wow. went bankrupt and we got pulled. So that was sort of my first lesson. So I ended up, you know, definitely uh, changing my decision of where I was going to go to school, end up going to a school here in state at, at UCLA, which is a unfortunately really great school. Um, but during that time, it wasn't just like thinking about how to pay for college, because I do, did know I had financial aid, I had student loans, but I was actually more concerned about helping my parents keep the house and what that meant, because my dad felt completely empty because he felt like he felt his family. So it was really sort of that's really how everything started. And then so when I was at school, I started my own business while in college, actually in the television production space. And then at, and during hiatus is where, you know, you didn't have much filming during time. I started taking the financial planning program at UCLA at night, hoping to give that information to help my parents make better financial decisions. So it was purely accidental. And it's almost like because of a bad financial experience that led me to this space. I, this was definitely not on my radar at all as a poli-sci major. Um, I'm guessing some of you who are watching probably may have been a poli-sci major as well. Um, so that was sort of the direction I was going. I went, I joined a television show to do legal research because I was thinking, you know, typical Asian family, you only get three choices in life. You're either a doctor, or engineer, or an attorney. And I didn't want to be a doctor. Definitely didn't have what it took to be an engineer. So like, okay, well, default, I guess I'll be an attorney. And I like to read, but that didn't, you know, definitely wasn't smart enough to go into your route. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a compelling story. And something that I think um, those kinds of stories shape a lot of people's lives. You know, what their parents, what happens in their parents' lives often shapes what we do in our life. And we may not know it at the time, but it is planting seeds. And it's often something that, you know, you, you just, the least, the thing that you would not expect, right? But to be able to help family members um, is, a, is a really compelling reason to do this. So tell me kind of how, what, what was your first job um, as a financial advisor like? Did you immediately decide that you wanted, that you were going to uh, start your own business in that? Or was it something where you had... Uh, uh, another kind of job and mentors or, and it wasn't, you know, and then something led you to starting your own business. Sure. So, you know, at UCLA, you know, I was looking, I, as soon as I started school, I took on so many jobs because I wanted to help, you know, financially my family. And one of the jobs that I got was a, a legal research job at a television show called Jones and Jury starring Star Jones. And it was a brand new show. I thought I was doing legal research, but as soon as I got in the first day, they said, we need help on the audience. So I ended up going to the audience and I wasn't even like a true you know, hire at that point, it's just an intern. And so my job soon got promoted to a position called page. A page is basically an usher that walks people from the exit to the entrance to sit in the audience. We collect gum and then we walk people to the restroom and then we would, you know, repeat that. And, and so I did that for some time. And then someone said, wow, UCLA, you're a really good page or a really good audience page. I was like, thank you. And then, so, so long story short is eventually one of the producers said, why don't you create your own audience production company? And if you do, I'll send you my shows. I'll send you my daughter's shows. And, you know, and, and that at that time I was about 19, 20 years old. And I started a television audience production company in the apartment of my college apartment. Uh, and I had a fax machine. That's how long ago it was. And then uh, we grew it. I was still in school full time. And we grew this business to the second largest in the United States. I was moving thousands of people to different television shows, including America's Funniest Home Videos and Judge Judy and Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and MTV Pilots and uh, Regis and Kathy Lee when they filmed in Los Angeles, all these different shows. And um, that's how I started. And then my parents I could sense that my mom was always sort of disappointed that I had gone and get, gotten a good education as working in television. I don't know why she thought that, but so I felt like I needed to like learn financial planning, you know, to help them anyway. And during that process, one of my professors in the financial planning uh, program tapped me and said, you know, Smith Barney is doing a um, hiring process and you need to go. You're ready they're doing a recruiting process program. So I went to the recruiting program and let me tell you, Davina, everybody looked like Barbie and Ken. Everyone was so beautiful, like a size zero. And then men were like six feet four. And I remember telling 
uh, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, I said, oh, this is this. I remember telling him after I said this, you know, I was so in the wrong space. You know, they had these beautiful suits. They look gorgeous. And here I was like really very, very awkward sitting in the corner. And, you know, we had submitted our resumes and whatnot. And when they were done and they were saying like, you know, you'll be lucky if you get hired here and basically this and that. And, you know, sometimes we throw spaghetti on the wall and hope like someone sticks, but most of you will fail in this industry, but if you really want to blah. So I remember thinking, okay, well, this wasn't work for me, but luckily I've got a TV production company. Mom will just have to deal with this. Right. So I'm right. walking out, leaving, and they say, Mr. Masan, can we, can, can you stay with us for a minute? And I remember thinking like, literally, I was like, oh no. I must have parked in the wrong spot. Like, this is really bad. So they took me to this conference room and it was like literally this huge, beautiful mahogany um, conference room. I sat there, I felt like hours, but it was probably just like 10 minutes. And then like literally like six or seven men in beautiful suits with cufflinks walked in. And basically they said, you know, we're not letting you leave this room until you sign with us. And that's what happened. And I was thinking to myself, uh... why would you like, why would you want to hire me? And they kept asking me about my TV uh, business and how I found people. And I think they thought that I was working with celebrities, which I told them I wasn't. But I think they thought that my network was, you know, the who's who of the entertainment space, which it wasn't. I was just moving people to the audience, but they didn't know that. And that's how it happened. It wow. Excellent. And so, so how, do, how long did you stay there? Did you, did you go from there to opening your own business or... Um, in the in the wealth space, or mm-hmm. did you go someplace else first? No, I was at Smith Barney the whole time as my first firm. And then Smith Barney, which was part of Citigroup at the time, then eventually got bought out by Morgan Stanley. And at that time, Morgan Stanley it was a very different culture. And uh, my manager, who was my mentor and really helped me take it to a next level. He actually left because he couldn't handle working under Morgan Stanley. And at that point, I knew it was time to look at different options. And fortunately, um, I had done a really good job at Smith Barney. So like I, at that point, I was already in the corner office. I was like the youngest person in the corner office. And um, we didn't definitely didn't have an issue of who wanted us. It's just where we wanted. And um, I had already actually decided to go to UBS. It was a huge offer, one of the largest all-cash offers that they had offered at the time. And then, um, but then uh, my manager, uh, my previous manager, he said, you know, Winnie, um, we're looking at LPL. And if you're interested in going there, I might actually go with you. And I thought the prospect of going with someone who really helped elevate my career um, was meaningful to me. And, you know, this was somebody who supported me when I my when I got pregnant for the first time, I had my first child, like made sure that it was a good environment for me to run my business. This was someone who like, you know, who didn't look at me as just being female and Asian, but actually looked at me fairly compared to other male financial advisors. And so I felt like he was someone I could trust. So um, so he said he's looking. So I took it very seriously. So I went and uh, we met with LPL and they um I said, I really think I can market because marketing is my passion. And he said that the firm said, yeah, we'll support that. So we went and my manager, he was with us for probably about six months. He's like, okay, you know, I think I'm just going to (laughs) retire. So, oh, so we're still really, really close to this day. But I'm like, John, I came here for you and then you leave. (laughs) But he's like, you'll be fine. And so, you know, so the rest is history. So we've been now through LPL. They're our back office, right? We do own our own firm. We do run everything ourselves or we handle everything, our, uh, our clients and whatnot. But uh, they, they've they been just sort of our uh, back office uh, partner, which has been, you know, it's been, I don't know, now over a decade. So we are Smith Barney slash Morgan Stanley for over a decade. And then from there on, we left and, and then started our own firm. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's such a, that is such a fascinating journey and story. <laughs> I want to talk about something that, um, you have, and, I, and this may be because of your background in television and sort of going, going in that direction and your sort of passion and love for marketing. But I think something that you've done really, really well that a lot of women law firm owners are going to be intrigued about and curious about is how you have uh, built your network and become so visible and such a sought after um, resource for these publications and these shows, 
when they're looking for some an expert on a topic to talk about wealth and money, what what kinds of things do you think laid the foundation for that for you and made this something um, that has evolved into what it has evolved into today for you? Sure. You know, it's so interesting. I'll share this with you because people always say like, wow, you know, you know, I saw you on the Today Show or I saw you on CNBC. And they're like, you know, I want that. Like, who's your publicist? And it's interesting because I'm actually, you know, people don't really know this, but I'm actually an extreme introvert. I'm so much of an introvert that like for the first 12 years of my life in elementary school through middle school, I pretty much didn't speak. And so my parents would have these meetings with teachers and like, like she's a good student, but she doesn't, doesn't talk. And I was always afraid that people saw me, then they, if they heard me, they'd actually see me. And that was like so funny. And um, I remember when LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, I think even before that, social media came out, my husband says, you know, you should do the social media thing because it's actually, you know, it could be good for business. But the financial industry didn't embrace social media. And so I said, no, 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 I can't do that. I have nothing to share. What am I going to talk about? But then eventually Smith Barney allowed us to do LinkedIn. I was like, being the good student, now good employee, if they said you should do LinkedIn, I should do LinkedIn. So I started doing LinkedIn and I quickly signed like a multi, uh, uh, you know, a uh, eight figure client off LinkedIn really, really relatively quickly. And that sort of um, opened my eyes about the potential of marketing and whatnot. And the thing is, you know, I always said if, if I could just bottle my clients up, what they said about them us, right? It was what that said about me as a financial advisor. My clients would love me so much. Like I remember when I was expecting my first child, my office was like completely covered with baby gifts, like all the time. And my manager said, when you know this kind of stuff, you should have it sent home. You shouldn't have this stuff sent to work. I'm like, John, I didn't order this stuff. This is for my clients. And he's like, what? Your clients? I was like, I didn't even tell them. I think they just found out from my assistant that I'm like, pregnant. And then, you know, that's how it kind of, and then that's when I realized like, wow, we're doing something really special. And our clients really feel uh, different when, when they're with me, if I could just bottle that up, I wouldn't have to do seminars as much. I wouldn't have to, well, this is already post. I went, I, I built my business cold calling. So I didn't cold call as much, but I didn't do, do I had to work so hard for prospecting. So then I recognized that, well, you know, at the time, Bernie Madoff was all in the news and the Lehman Brothers issues were in the news and Merrill Lynch, all these bad things were happening. And I said, if I don't tell my story, someone else is going to tell my story. So that's when I really started leveraging social media. And when I un- left Morgan Stanley, I remember the manager who had taken over, the Morgan Stanley manager said, you know, Winnie, I hope your husband knows what you're doing today because you have just committed career suicide. You will, you will die. This is over for your career. And I remember being so scared going down that elevator that day, leaving Morgan Stanley and wondering how I was going to make this work. And I remember telling myself, but you know what? My clients love me and I'm going to find a way to get this out. So when I was obviously meeting with the different firms, fortunately, I had already got commitment from LPL. They, they actually hired me a publicist from day one. And that really sort of opened my eyes about what a publicist could do because I had never worked with one before. And, it, and I recognized that, you know what, we as business owners have a responsibility not only to do great work for our clients, that's the number one thing. But the second thing that we have a responsibility to, to them for is to get the word out about our business. Because if we don't continue to build our practices, then we're not going to be any good for our existing clients and we're not going to be any good for our team. And if we're not in practice because we fail to continue to build our businesses, that's on us. So our responsibility as business owners, if we really care about our clients, really care about our teams, we need to spend a good amount of time building our brand and and making sure that even when we're with our kids or we're with a client, that we still have entities out there that are attracting and, bri- and building brands to build, bring us more business. So that sort of like was my aha moment. So I went all in um, at eventually with social media. And, that, and I will tell you, it took me um, three uh, three or four experiences before finding my perfect publicist. And as I shared with you, I have had the same business partner for 22 years. I've been married, like, I don't know, 24 years, um, you know, obviously different people, but 
um, I am the type of person who retains relationships for a very long time. So to go through these different publicists means that it was just not a good fit. I finally found someone who is who I'm with now who will be my publicist for life. But you need to find someone who believes in you because there's going to be days that you don't believe in yourself. And so they're going to challenge you. They're going to make you better. And they're going to open doors for you that maybe you couldn't open for yourself. And that's who you want on your team. Because I think um, building your brand independently is doable, but very, very difficult. And I think no matter how alpha or how successful you are, when you find that person in your corner, it will completely change you. And I think Davina, you've actually done such a beautiful job with this already. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I, I think this, there's so much in what you said that is very powerful. And I want to unpack it a little bit. And one of the things is you said that, first of all, you said you were very introverted. And I want to talk about how you sort of overcame that, because I know that is a real stumbling block for a lot of professional women. They just, they want to be behind the scenes doing work for their clients. They don't want to be in front of a camera. And I know for me, you know, I'm in, I'm, as anybody who listens to this know, I'm in my mid fifties. So it's, it's not fun being in front of the camera when you're in your mid fifties and you're looking at all the young people out there doing things and and it, it can be a little uncomfortable. And fortunately I'm curious enough about other people that it's a driving factor for me to have conversations with other people. But when you are introverted, it can be um, a stumbling block for people. And then the other thing I want to talk about, so I don't forget, I'm going to put it out there for you, is you went through three or four people. And I think one of the things that often happens with women business owners, and maybe with men too, I don't know, but, but I know certainly with the women business owners that I work with, is that sometimes we'll, we, we take a failure upon ourselves when something doesn't work out. And then we say, well, that didn't work out. And maybe we do one or two, you know, people, and then it doesn't work out. And then we go, well, that doesn't work. And we cross it off of the list. And oftentimes we see it, whether we're hiring, so we hire somebody and they quit or they ghost or they, you know, or they work for a while. And then suddenly they get strange and you have to let them go and they don't fit anymore. And then we go, you know, I, I hired one time and that was really scary for me because it didn't work out. So I must be bad at it. You know, what kinds of, um, did you ever have those moments when you were on, you know, person number two, person number three, where you started going, well, is it me? Absolutely. So I'm going to ask, answer the publicist question first, because I think that's the question I get asked so much. And I don't do a lot of interest in that. So let me tell you this. So you know, you're right. We feel failure. If it doesn't work out, we think it's us. And so many times I felt like it was us, especially being an introvert. You, you overanalyze and you, you sort of, you know, discount yourself over and over again. And I remember my, uh, one of my earlier publicists, in fact, I remember asking him, I said, do you think I should do more social media? Because my husband thinks I should do more social media. He's like, no, no, no. And he was similar age to me. So it wasn't like he was like much older. And he says, no, no, I just want you to continue to do print media, like traditional media. I think it's good for you. You know, don't spend too much money on social media. I don't think that's really relevant for you. And actually, that wasn't why I left that firm. Because then um, his right hand uh, this is, I was pregnant with, I think my second, I had just given birth to my second child. And you know, when you have your baby at the first few weeks, you can't even see, think straight, right? You don't even get a chance to shower sometimes. Um, so one of the media outlets, a really big outlet has sent uh, an email to myself, CC'd my, my publicist's right hand at the time. Um, and said, Hey, well, I want to see if I can get Winnie back on. This is a state. It's a, it's a radio show, by the way. And th- you know, so, you know, I mean, this, this was like TV, so it would be a lot easier. And he says, um, I want to see if she can do an interview like this afternoon. I know it's last minute, but whatever. So I finally saw the email. This was in plenty of time, by the way. And I was like, oh, this is great. I could do it. But then my publicist had already replied all and said, don't worry, Winnie can't do this. I got someone else for you. And I was oh. like, you know, I just gave birth. You have children. You're a mom too. And you couldn't have texted me or called me because you know I would have wanted to do this. So at that point, I recognized that I needed to find somebody else because I was yeah. just another number to her and that firm, you know? Um, yeah. But I think with with this, I will say this is like, 
there's always going to be a lot of people that discount you. And you're going to go through this naturally as well. The first time I was on CNBC, I was actually sort of a train wreck. I remember my publicist at the time had said, so, you know, I reached out to the, the producer and asked how you did. And they said, you look the part, you know your stuff but there's something wrong with the way that you speak. They think there's something wrong with your tongue. So I was like, okay, my 20 some years in life or 30 years of life, I've never been told there was something wrong with the way I spoke and this and that. Only to, after deep discovery, I went to like speech therapists for a year, um, media coaches for a year, spent so much money trying to fix myself only to learn when I started doing live streaming myself independently, that was because Growing up, I learned to speak Chinese before I spoke English. And so on television, the Chinganese would come out, right? And, and so after Facebook Live came out, I started teaching myself. I was like practicing doing live streaming every day. And that's actually how I fixed myself. So now people are like, wow, she's a natural. She's so good on TV. I'm like, seven or eight years in the making, but we've got there. <laughs> um, lots of practice, lots of practice. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I definitely, you notice all of the, all those quirky things that you do and you don't really realize that you do like, you ah. the camera on you and you look at the video and the sound of your voice. Everybody hates the sound of their voice. Everybody, when you listen to recording of your voice, like, people, you know, they're like, that don't sound like that. And it's so, it can be such, you know, cognitive dissonance. You um, sound really great, Bob, I gotta say. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Well, see now, uh, my view of that is different. When I listen to myself, I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think I think that's the part that um, for me, I just uh, I always think about the content I'm sharing, the guests that I have on, and I'm focused. I try to focus on the message. And just hope that people can, you know, overcome any sort of weird quirks, or if I talk with my hands too much, or whatever it is that I do, and they can they can move past that and focus on the content mm -hmm. and the guests. And when you focus on the content, for me, uh, that that is what I've had to learn to do to overcome the anxiety that comes with, you know, because it's not about me, right? It's about mm -hmm. what we're talking about and that we're helping people and that we're sharing. Um, you are. You're, you know, you're a very attractive lady and you've mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> about, right. So you mentioned, right. You mentioned a couple of times about, first of all, I think, I can't believe somebody actually told you that it, something was the death of your career because you were leaving them. And, and you mentioned being uncomfortable because you were in this room of sort of Ken and Barbies and not feeling like you fit in because you're Asian, because you're a woman, because you, you know, you were introverted all of those things or, or what of those things, how have you, how have you learned to use that to your advantage? Absolutely. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. I mean, I, I remember like, even when I first got hired at Smith Barney, one of the advisors came in the office, welcomed me to the office and he goes, wow, the manager got a great deal hiring you because you're a double minority, extra bonus there. And I remember not knowing what that meant at 20 something years old. And so, you know, for the longest time, my clientele is completely diverse. Like some, I've had advisors say, oh, do you mostly handle the Asian community? I'm like, oh, how interesting question. My Asian clientele makes up probably 10, 15%. I'm a completely diverse um, clientele, which I'm very proud of. My consistency, all my clients are really, really great human beings and really great people and really hardworking. That's, I think, the, the commonality there. But I think, you know, we all have our insecurities. Um, my publicist, who I am with right now, um, as well as I have, you know, some other business mentors I've had all these years who have really helped shape me, I think, and when I was down or insecure. But they really give me the confidence. And then really sort of that pivotal moment was when I had kids. So when I had my first child, now I have three kids. And I think many of you who have kids can relate to this. They gave me that confidence, the desire to fight for myself and to stand up for myself. I didn't really have that much of a reason to do that before they showed up. But now I'm like, uh, you know, recently there's been a lot of um, 
you know, since the pandemic, a lot of talk about stop Asian hate, a lot of crimes against the Asian community. Previous Winnie would have not said much. I would have just stayed clear behind the scenes. This now is different. Now I've been, I've been doing some work with CNBC in that space. I've created a ton of content with partnered up with LinkedIn on that. And I think that that came from, um, from having kids, from, you know, getting more comfortable um, and also having the confidence now of saying, why not? I have so much social media um, credibility and I have so much street cred and the numbers show for themselves that we, I guess, technically on paper are very successful. We're award-winning, we've been recognized by Forbes. And I know in my skin that I'm a really good human being. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. And so I want to make the world a little bit better for my kids and the future generation. So I got to stand up and do that. So it's sort of like, it's one of those like aha moments, right? I mean, nobody can tell you you need to feel better. I mean, that's all tell you you should feel better. You should be more proud of yourself. And like, you know, I still get like, I still cringe when people say like, well, how do you feel now that you're so successful? I'm like, I don't really feel successful, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know? Um, yeah, so I think it's that mental thing, but I do think you need to find someone that believes in you. My publicist, by the way, I gotta tell you, she's like literally one of my best friends on the planet now. Um, she was she was on TV and then she became a publicist. And what she does, which I love, is she only takes one client in any respective industry. So like, let's say, for example, she worked with an uh, attorney, right? Uh, that she would only have one attorney. She only has one financial advisor. So when she like talks to the Today Show or she talks to whoever she's talking to about me, they'll say like, oh, well, when he's not available, do you have another one? She's like, nope. I only had the best and I needed someone who believed in me that way when I didn't believe in myself. So that's been super helpful. Right. So I love, I love that you talk about how important it is to have the right people in your circle supporting you because there definitely are a lot of people out there that, you know, you will have working relationships with and they're not really in your corner. Uh, mm-hmm. They're in, maybe they're in their corner and they're not <laughs> in your corner, you know? Um, do you, do you think there is a sort of secret to good collaborative relationships? Absolutely. I think you're a testament of this. I've, I've done research on you. I think, you know, um, I think the thing with collaborative relationships, it, it always has to be a win-win. But more important than that, I think there has to be a personal and connection before it can be that way. Um, you know, so often, I'm sure all of you get all these you know, inquiries on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram saying that they want you to look at their business. This just doesn't work. We need to find a commonality between us, right? A core value that we believe in each other and we really care about each other and someone that I'm comfortable introducing to my best clients. It has to be someone in my heart I trust. And I think that's key. And you don't have to get along with everybody and you never need to. But I would say one of the things that I I found to be the most meaningful in building relationships is to be able to be comfortable walking away fast if it's not a good fit. Because if you allow negativity in your life, and I call them negatomes, one negatome will completely derail your life and your career, just like that. You need to be so good about saying, no, I can't have that person in my life. And so that you can welcome really good people. But it's not about having so many people. Um, So like, you know, I have the largest business tweet chat on social media. We average 100, 100 million impressions per week on our tweet chat that lasts about an hour. And, you know, I think the core group of us is probably about 50. You know, we don't need to be thousands in order to to drive this much traffic. And in real life, if you have, you know, 10, 20 people on speed dial that you can text, you're really rich and that's enough. So it's less about numbers. It's more about value. But more importantly, it's about being proactive in terms of reaching out to them when you don't need someone to something and caring about them for the things that that matter to them. And I think that's key. At least that's sort of been my philosophy in life. My mom always told me that if someone's good to you, um, you treat them 10 times better. And that's always been really good for me. So those people who are good to me, I treat them like, like they know right. I'll, I'll do anything for them. And, and I right. think that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. I think that's something very powerful that you said that you don't need that many. I, I know that I have a, a friend of mine who was a coach of mine for a while. 
And he was always saying, you, you don't need that many people. I mean, we have this idea in social media that you've got to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and we have to do all of these things. But really, you only need, there's only so much capacity. There's only so much people can handle. And, and, and you know, if you, if you want to grow your business, obviously you can handle more and more people, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are a lot of uh, sacrifices that come along with that as well, choices, right? So I think that's very powerful what you said that you, you so finding the right people. And sometimes that takes time. You don't know. It's just like dating. You don't know when you yeah. first you know go out with somebody, you first meet them, if they're going to be somebody that you're going to really resonate with and bond with. And think about all the people that you've met through the years, how many are still good friends. You know, mm-hmm. those are people who've invested in their relationship. Uh, I There's something that's very interesting to me about this podcast um, and my own experiences with people who offer to collaborate with me, I find that white men are much more um, willing to reach out cold and invite themselves on my podcast or, or talk with me about collaborating or coming on my podcast. And I find a lot of times I often have to chase women and um, different different kinds of women that I want to have on the show. And I think that it has a lot to do with this sort of fear of visibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas, you know, a lot of the men, you know, they're looking at it as a business. I got so many of these things I got to check off my list and I'm going to mm-hmm. go and, and get the word out there. And it's, it's been one of the challenges of this podcast that I am, I'm, when it comes to women, particularly women of color, diverse population, I'm often, you know, making several, several, you know, overtures to try to get people on the podcast. And I, think I will get you it, people. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. And I think some of it is, and, and fortunately, some of my networks have been really terrific. You know, I've met some women who, um, you know, really great at referring people to me and men, some men too, as well. And it's not that I don't like men and want to have it, but this is the wealthy woman lawyer podcast. So I don't want it to be all men, um, every week on the show. And so do, have you, I know you run a podcast and you have a team who's helping you source those, uh, guests for your podcast, but have you noticed a difference in, in men and women as far as, um, who's stepping up? I know you have a much bigger audience than I do, so that makes come figure into it as well. But well, I love this question to Davina because I was just talking to my publishers about the same thing. You know, I 100% agree with what you said. I think men by nature tend to a lot more men have business leaders, have publicists. That's one thing. The other thing is they tend to. Um, they tend to be more comfortable doing media, right? I think, you know, when I first started doing media, I don't, I didn't feel like I actually earned the right to do media for, for, minute, for a long time. I felt like, you know, maybe I wasn't good enough. I didn't have enough credibility yet. I didn't feel like I, I earned a place, but that's starting to change. I will say, I agree with you. It is so hard to find a, a woman of color, especially um, to be on show. I was trying to, you know, last month was, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander. I was trying to find um, Asian women leaders and men leaders on the show. And I was telling publicists, this is so hard. And I'm an Asian host. I can't believe this is that hard to find someone to be on the show with. Um, I can't believe they don't want to be on the show. But I think it's, you know, I'm hoping that'll start to change as more of us talk about the importance of building brands, about social media. I think that next generation, I think uh, millennials and um and Gen Z, I think they're doing a much better job of, you know, now with TikTok and Instagram and, and whatnot, of knowing that they have a voice. But I agree. I think it's sort of that 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 transition. We got to get more comfortable talking and promoting ourselves. And just because we talk about ourselves doesn't degrade what we've built. And it doesn't mean that we're not women and we're not mothers and we're not caregiving and we're not, you know, sensitive. All that stuff is still just as relevant. And I would say this is introverts and women. Let me just tell you, um, you are like a natural super social media powerhouse. You just don't even know. Introverts are like the most powerful people on social media. Let me just tell you, because for, for much of our lives, we were looking and watching and not talking. So we learned how other people reacted to us. And we're so sensitive about it that we end up 
creating very good social media brands. You know, I think my first 80,000 followers was hard. I remember, but then it got to 250,000, now over 300,000. They sound like big numbers and they are. Like we said, you only need that core 50 and then it'll just organically grow. Right, right, right. Has, have you noticed, um, do you ever feel like you need to be more careful on social media when you're talking on social media, the larger your audience has gotten, do you, or do you think more intently about what you're putting out there as opposed to when you first started? Oh, absolutely. I think it's never really changed, you know, um, I, you know, in the financial industry, as well as I'm sure in the legal industry, we're under such compliant scrutiny of what we can and cannot say. And, um, you know, that's, that's the key. And that's always been the thing. And I think with the financial industry, why I don't have as much competition in the financial space on social media is because people are just too scared of what, of saying something wrong. And it's true. I mean, on social media, um, you know, there's a lot of trolls out there who want to crush you. I mean, I share this really simple, uh, tweet, I think just a couple of weeks ago, it actually surprised me. It was like, you know, I had interviewed a couple of different people. One of the tweets was saying like, you know, um, now COVID is now, I guess, the fourth most common death for children under the age of 17. I was like shocked by this. So I shared it on Twitter. I was like, I'm actually shocked by this. As a parent, I couldn't, I can't believe this is actually true. People were crushing me saying that I was like, you know, uh, a COVID monger and all this stuff. I was like, Wow, that was a lot. So, of course, I deleted the tweet. But I think the thing is, it is so polarizing right now. So, of course, if you're going to be on social media, you got to be very mindful that there's a lot of crazy people who want to take you down for any little reason, right? And if you're on a podcast, you're going to do that. People, there are just some people that are really angry. But the good news is if you choose to go the high road and you choose to embrace kindness, this is sort of my messaging, you will naturally attract 10 times more people that are your people. So it shouldn't keep you from building a brand because if you don't build a brand, someone else's brand will define you and that may not be to your benefit. So one day when you're not able to, or if you're on vacation, you're not bringing in new clients, your your practice will start to get smaller and it can't be that way. So you're going to have to build it so that even when you're not working, there's still enough out there trying to bring a new business for you. And that is key. That's the way to build a really sustainable practice, not only from a business standpoint, but will help you feel better about what you do for people. And, and your mental, so your mental gain when you build your business is, is critical. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think that's where a good support network comes into. So you can bounce things off them and go, oh, what was it me? Or did this just happen? Right. And, and I do, I do know from a marketing and messaging standpoint, I've always felt that the more, the, the more attractive you are, and I mean, attractive in attracting your right people, the more you're going to repel some people because you're going to have a very strong point of view. And that point of view is going to be highly attractive, but it's also going to repel. And so usually when I'm looking at something that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, I strive not to be particularly controversial, but I have, you know, I'm also very much myself and I have some controversial, you know, opinions about things, but I also just, um, I believe that there are enough people out there when I, when I'm discussing my point of view, that there are people who need to know that they're supportive that align with that point of view. And so I do it for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I don't worry so much about people because people who don't like me aren't going to be my clients anyway. So we've just, you know, we've just established that we don't waste, we have to waste any time. One of the things that you said now, you, you know, you are in the wealth industry and it's exactly, I've, I've, I've reached out to different people in the wealth industry before and said, I'd love to have you on my show because the podcast is wealthy woman lawyer. Um, but in the financial industry, I've gotten a lot of no's because I've got people who've said, well, I'm scared. You know, I can't do that because we're not allowed to talk about now you and I today, if people were, um, signing up for this because they think we were going to, they were going to get a lot of financial advice today. They'll probably be disappointed. But um, I know that you, there are certain restrictions on what you can say, because obviously you could say something just off the hat, you know, off the cuff and somebody would run out and do it and then, you know, come back and invite you, hold you accountable. Well, Wendy's son said that. So I went and invested <laughs> in this thing. Right. Um, 
What would you say, though, is there anything that you could say to the women law firm owners? One of the things that I believe in building wealth is that they they start with building their wealth generating law firm. And that wealth generating business is going to be the thing that's then going to allow them to make the investments into other things that they need to be able. It's the foundational piece, like any businesses, like your first business that you came up with, where you were moving audiences from studio to studio and managing audiences. That was a key foundation to you building wealth and going on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. What, what kinds of sort of, if we were to leave somebody with some thoughts on the state of the economy now and our wealth, what would you, what would you be able to say that wouldn't um, be out of line for you to say? <laughs> sure. Sure. No, I'm, I'm happy to share. I, I think, you know, when we're as business owners, we are really good at doing what we do, right? We're great at servicing our clients. We're great at caring for our clients. And, but that not all of us want to do the bookkeeping and the payroll and whatnot. So we know our limitations. And I think that's a really powerful skill. You need to know what you're not good at. And I would say that, you know, you know I, for, I, I credit one of my most early relationships, I was in my early 20s, just starting off, and I met an accountant. And the accountant has been now my accountant for, like forever, right? And he, I met him when I was just starting off, not making that much money, and he's helped me through the years. And I think with a good financial advisor, you want to do that because you need to be able to focus on your practice. You need to focus on marketing, and you need to have somebody who cares and works just as hard as you do to help you manage your money. Should you be managing your money? Should you be investing right now? Absolutely. So there's so many great opportunities right now, especially gone through the pandemic. You know, we've been making changes to different portfolios. I think one thing that we've been, we're we're very successful at um, for our clients, you know, most people don't know when to sell. And one thing that we're really good when we build, we do customized portfolios for our clients and we know when to sell, when to take profit and when to rebalance and when to add. And so right now for our clients, we're holding, um, many of our clients are holding larger amounts of cash currently, because as you know, like with inflation being so high, real estate market being more challenging. And of course, uh, many of the stock indices have already uh, touched spare market levels. There's good opportunities if your time horizon is long. So as a you know business owner, uh, of any gender, any practice, I would say you owe it to yourself to make sure that you are saving in your retirement account every single time you get paid. That's key. That cannot be a negotiable, whether it be a SEP IRA or one person 401k or a simple uh, 401k or traditional 401k, you should be doing that. And you should also be doing your Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. Now, many of you don't qualify to go directly to the Roth IRA, but then you should know that as of right now, the law still says that you're able to do a backdoor. So you should actually be looking at these opportunities and not letting them pass. Because if there's one thing I've learned um, as a financial advisor for 20 something years is that the most successful start young, right? My oldest son, my oldest child is 13 years old and now he's work. He's, he's got work that he's doing and he's saving into his Roth IRA. He also has his credit card that I set up for him. And these are things that we need to be sharing not only for ourselves, but they're good for our clients and are also good for the next generation. So if you, you don't, we're not in, most of us are not in the work of nonprofit, meaning that we run nonprofits, not that we don't service nonprofit clients because I do, and I'm sure you do, but we need to get thinking that part of our job is also making and building wealth, right? For ourselves, but it's not just building wealth, but it's also building smart wealth that is tax sheltered, that has continuous growth that, you know, reaps the benefits of dividends and compounded interest, all these things. And you can only do that if you know that the advice that you're getting, you don't have to second guess all the time. So you can just focus on being brilliant, right? And then making sure that 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 money is invested properly. So absolutely. Like, I would love to share like what to invest in on a public forum. Of course, I won't because I know not to. But at, at any point, if you want to just you know talk shop or you want a second opinion, um, we I'm doing like pro bono corporate speaking all day long right now. So if your company wants us to come in and talk, we're doing that right now. As long as it's virtual, happy to do it. So we're doing that for like NBC. We're doing for employees at LA Times and Tencel Phelps, all these big companies. So uh, you know if there's interest, definitely reach out.
We can well, I think, I think that's a good note to end on because I'd love for you to share how people can connect with you uh, on social media or in any other way that you want or how they can find out more information on working with you. If you would do that, that would be great. And we'll be sure to include that in the show notes as well. I love it. Thank you, Davina. Well, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind is I've been a financial advisor and my team uh, are very seasoned. So what's good about that is we're never going to pressure you to be a client. If you want to be a client, we're easy to find. You just Google Winnie Sun. I pop up everywhere, wherever you are, I'm at. And, you know, you're always welcome to kick the tires and get to know us. And I actually welcome that. I always tell people, you know, just kind of get to know us, talk and see if it's a good fit. You know, even if it's a year or five years, we're still going to be here. You don't have to make that decision today. And that's key. I think you want a quality relationship, just like I'm sure, you know, those who are looking for an attorney or lawyer looking for someone that they, they can trust and build that friendship with long-term. And I would just, you know, have that same mindset um, when you reach out to us or somebody else, because we're in it for the long run. And yeah, so we're really easy to find. But if we can add value to your employees, to a company that you work with, um, that's actually what we love to do. We we do do we want to try to earn that business before you decide to do business with us. Right, right. And the time is probably right now with all that is going on in the economy. If there's a time to seek out advice, this would be a great time to do it, I would imagine, because there are so many questions about what's going on and getting other people who, you know, that that, that's their wheelhouse, getting their thoughts and opinions uh, would probably be very helpful. Uh, So Gwenny, thank you so much for being here today. I've enjoyed it immensely. And I'm so glad we were finally able to connect and have you on Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. Well, thank you. It's such an honor. And thank you so much for being patient with me. I've loved the experience and I'm such a huge fan of you. So thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue, and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the lead.